I know you have a special gift, David, from God, because you're the only worship leader I know that makes me want to hit my dab in worship. So bless you, man. And the nene, too. I want to do a slow nene when I'm worshiping. Yeah, let's let the kids go right now, all the children's church. Uh, let's do, is it kinder, pre-K to nursery to sixth grade? All the kids, if you're in, you know, a baby all the way to sixth grade, we'll let you go now. Thank you, David, so much for your obedience and um, picking those songs for us this morning. They were perfect for the message. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 9. Um, the title of my sermon is Jesus Loves Despicable Me. And so that's what we're going to be talking about. All the kids are like, oh, man, I want to stay for this. Um, so it's going to be in Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. How's everybody doing today? Everybody doing okay? You guys feel good this morning? Yeah. Pastor and uh, Sister Wilson say hello from Palm Desert. Um, they're down there worshiping and preaching. Um, and then they'll be going to Hawaii with the Fresno Pacific basketball team um, after service today. So they say hello from uh, Palm Desert and hello from Hawaii. Um, and they love you guys. They send your love to you. Amen. So Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. I'm just going to change this so it doesn't auto-lock when I'm trying to read my sermon. Give me one second. Amen. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. And it says, As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at a tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Amen. So we're going to talk about Jesus Loves Despicable Me. Who, how many people have seen this movie? Despicable Me. You guys know the main character, Gru, uh, Gru the protagonist in the movie? Gru, you know, the evil guy. He's real despicable, is he not? He's an evil guy. Just rotten. You know, even so much that he adopts three kids so he can go about his evil plan of stealing the moon. You guys remember this from the movie? He wants to steal the moon because this will be the greatest, evilest thing anyone's ever done. So he wants to be the, you know, top dog, evil supervillain, right? So he tries to steal the moon, and he adopts these three kids, you know, these three little girls, yeah, three little girls, to go about his plan. Somehow they're going to work out his evil plan so he can steal the moon. He's despicable, right? This guy is so evil. His main goal in life is to be more evil than the second evil guy. You know, this is how evil he is. He's just despicable, right? But what happens? Agnes, you guys know Agnes, the cutest one out of the three little girls, comes into Gru's life, and Agnes's love for Gru is so strong, it turns him from despicable to remarkable, right? By the end of the movie, he's the nicest, you know, most lovable teddy bear type guy you ever meet, all because of Agnes's love. Little Agnes did that. What was so powerful about Agnes? It was her love. It was the grace she had for a guy that didn't deserve it that changed him. And so we're going to talk about how God has that same love for us. Um, and Jesus loves despicable me. Some look to your neighbor and say, I'm despicable. I'm despicable. But God loves despicable old me. Despicable old me. Verse 9. So it says, um, we're going to talk about two things. Matthew's despicable character and Matthew's remarkable calling. Uh, Matthew's despicable character 
and Matthew's re- remarkable calling. So verse 9 says, as Jesus passed on from there, right? Where is he passing on from? Read um, a couple verses up, and you'll realize that Jesus just healed a paralyzed guy. So what happens is they're in this room a little bit smaller than this, and, you know, these, guys, these four guys had their friend, and he got, you know, paralyzed playing football or something. I don't know how. The scripture doesn't say, but he's paralyzed from the neck down, so he can't walk. So they try to get through the front door, you know, and the front door's closed. They can't get to the front door. And they peek through, you know, one of the windows, and it's like standing room only in there. You know, it's packed like a, like a can of sardines in there, the, the house. Why? Because Jesus is in the house. How many of us know when Jesus is in the house, something good is going to happen? When Jesus is in the house, something good is going to happen, right? So he's in the house. And they know something's good going on. Something good is going on in there, and I need to get my friend in there. Or I need to get my buddy in there. So they can't get through the front door. They can't get through the window. The only option is what? Raise the roof. You know, someone say, ain't no party like a Jesus Christ party because a Jesus Christ party don't stop. These guys are going to literally raise the roof to bring their friend into this party. That's how bad they want to get their friend into this party. How many of us have some friends that we would do absolutely anything to get them to meet Jesus? I mean, absolutely anything. I mean, raise the roof in this place if you got to, to get them to Jesus. These guys are serious, right? So they raise the roof. They lower their friend in through the roof. And Jesus says to the guy, cliffhanger, your sins are forgiven. This guy's looking like, dude, don't you see I can't walk? I don't want my sins forgiven right now. I want to walk, Jesus. Sometimes, you know, God will give us what we need before we get what we want right? He'll give us what we really need before we get what we want, right? And so the Pharisees and everybody else in the church is like, whoa, man, like, who make, why does it, who does this guy think he is, think he can forgive sins, right? And Jesus hears them, you know, hears their thoughts and stuff. Sidebar, God, hear, God hears our thoughts. God hears what you think nobody else is going to hear you saying or you thinking. God hears those things. And he turns to the guys and he says, hey, first of all, I can hear you. Second of all, what's going to make you believe I can forgive sins? Me saying your sins are forgiven or me saying you can walk? So he says to the guy, because these guys don't believe who I am, get up and walk. And what does the guy do? He grabs his football and he goes for a Hail Mary. He runs, you know, he walks back to his house. And everybody starts glorifying God, saying we saw God today. And then where we pick up today, it says Jesus passed on from there. And he's about to run into Matthew. It doesn't matter what has happened in the lives of the people around you. God is still coming to your front door. Maybe you think everybody in my family is saved. Everybody I know has had some type of favor or blessing from God. But I'm the the only one who has not gotten what I really need from God. And it seems like I'm not going to get it. Let me tell you something today. God is passing by the people he's already helped. And he's coming to help you today. This verse says he passed on from there. He helped homeboy, but now he's about to help somebody else here today. I believe God has found, or God saw this day before you were even born, and today is the day God is going to speak to you. Because in the text we're reading today, it says God is, Jesus has passed on from there, and now he's coming to your city. Now he's coming into your life. And someone in here today has been waiting and waiting on for God to speak a word into their life so they can finally have the healing and the purpose that they've always wanted. And I believe today, that day is going to be today. That day is going to be today. Look to your neighbor and say, today was a good day. 
Ice Cube only had one good day in his whole life. Every other day was about killing and being run down by the cops. But, you know, in this song he said, I didn't see a berry flashing those high beams. You know, today was a good day. I didn't even have to pull out my AK. Today was a good day. Today's going to be a good day. Amen? Amen? Amen. But it'll get better. Matthew's despicable character. He says, a man named Matthew sitting at a booth. That is all we need to know about Matthew. What do we know about Matthew? He's a tax collector, and he wrote this book. That's all we, need. It's all we know about him, and that's all we need to know about him to find out who this guy is, and that he's despicable, much worse than Gru. We're about to find out. Tax collector. What does it mean to be a tax collector? A tax collector back in the first century, what they literally do, they'd work for the IRS, the Roman IRS, and the, the system was so corrupted and evil that the system was actually banked on you making corrupt collections. The system was so dirty and twisted that it was actually bent and encouraged that the tax collectors make a corrupt collection of their money. What do I mean by that? I mean, the system was changed so much that the, the Roman IRS had made it so much so that the tax collectors were able to take extra money from each person they took taxes from. Wow. Saying, well, that sounds familiar to our government. It's true. You know, this tax booth, it says he was, he was um, sitting at a tax booth. That tells us he was a tax collector, and it tells us also he was sitting. When you come into your boss's office, what is he doing? Sitting, sitting down. Why? Because he wants to you know, distinguish who's the boss and who's not. The fact that he's sitting down here tells us that he's not just a tax collector, but he's top dog. He's the, he's an authority. He's the top tax collector. You know what that means? He's getting paid. He's getting paid. It's like a pyramid scheme. Everybody, every one of his little, you know, homie, you know, homie tax collectors that's taking extra bills off everybody's little things, he's getting a chop off of that. This guy was paid. Like he was making more money than El Chapo Jr. He was making money, like bank, a lot of it. A lot of it. Also tells us in the same chapter that, they, that Jesus was by the uh, Sea of Galilee. You know, so put it all together. He, Matthew's a tax collector sitting in a tax booth next to the sea. So what do you think he's paying taxes on? Or what do you think he's taking taxes off of? Fish. And what do you think most people ate in this day? Fish. So not only is he you know, a despicable tax collector, but he's the top despicable tax collector. And on top of that, he's the, he's, he, he owns McDonald's. <laughs> this guy is making so much money, and he's making it at the expense of somebody else. Wow. You know, every time we sin, we do it at the expense of everybody else. Wow. Every time we sin, every time we make a decision based on what we want to do, we're making it based on, at the expense of, not only ourselves, but our family members. Every time we sin, a sin is not just a sin against God, but it's a sin against ourselves and sin against the people around us. So if he is rich, if Matthew is rich in money, we are rich in sin. Because every time we sin, we do it at the expense of our children. And we do it at the expense of our, of our, of our wives, our husbands, our grandparents, our parents, our cousins, they're the ones that are going to pay for the sin that we do. Yes, you say, no, I don't believe that. When's the last time you acted out on your anger? You know, you just had, you just like, you, all the anger was bowling up and you just said something you shouldn't have said. Or did something you shouldn't have done. You know, who pays that? The people around you. 
The other people pay it. This guy was so despicable, you know, he was sinning against other people, he was sinning against himself. He was ashamed of what he'd done. Not only was he despicable, he was ashamed of what he was doing. Why? Because in this text, he calls himself what? Matthew. Matthew wrote the book. He calls himself Matthew, saying, what are you saying? Get to the point, Alex. He's talking in third person about himself. But in, in Mark's gospel and in Luke's gospel, this, let me sidebar right here, Sunday school lesson, all four of the gospels tell the same exact story from different viewpoints. All four of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, tell the same story, but from different viewpoints. Why? Because different men wrote it with God's anointing, with God's help. Matthew, I mean, Mark and Luke call this guy Luke, or call this guy Levi. In the same exact story, Mark and Luke call Matthew Levi. Why does Mark and Luke call Matthew Levi and Matthew call himself Matthew in his own story? Why does he do that? Because he worked for a Greek job. Matthew was a Greek name. Levi was a Hebrew name. So even though Matthew was Hebrew, his job was Greek. So he calls himself Matthew because he knew his identity when he came into Christ was his job. And because that was his job, he called himself Matthew. This was my identity at the time. For example, if I worked for, you know, Tacos Tijuana over there on Kings Canyon, everybody would call me, not Alexander, but what would they call me, Matt, uh, Mario? They would call me Alejandro because it's a Mexican restaurant. This is why he went by Matthew. He worked in a Greek job. And his identity was what he did at the time when he met Jesus. Listen to what, I'm, listen to what God is saying. Listen to what God is saying today. Other people may know you by your righteous name, but you know you by your sinful name. Other people may know you, oh, you a preacher. Are you good at new beginnings? Are you a righteous, holier-than-thou type person? But you know you. If nobody else knows you, you know you. When you close your eyes at night, you close your eyes at night, you look yourself in the mirror, you know who you really are. You may be fooling every single person in your life, every single person in this church, but you know you. And I know me. And I know my real name is Matthew because I am despicable in every single thing that I do. And my honorable name, you know, his homeboys, Mark and Luke. Mark's a doctor and Mark's a missionary. And so, you know, they think this is the Apostle Matthew. You know, this is top dog. You know, this is like, you know, this is the Michael Jordan of Christianity. You know, Matthew, the Apostle, you know, who wrote... The Gospel of Matthew. I mean, he was rubbing shoulders with Christ, the Messiah. And so Mark, the missionary, and Luke, the doctor, they're like, oh, we got to call him Levi. we got to call him by his honorable name. But Matthew knows Matthew by his despicable name. They want to call him by his remarkable name, but Matthew knows himself by his despicable name. You might be here today saying, you know, how could God want anything to do with me? How can anybody want anything to do with it? These people sitting next to me right now really knew who I was and really knew the stuff that I struggle with and the stuff that I do, you know, on a daily basis. They wouldn't, have, they wouldn't want nothing to do with me. Someone's sitting here thinking, I am despicable in every single way, and I'm putting my best foot forward trying to get everybody else to believe that I'm remarkable. But really, I know I'm despicable. Something about God that we need to understand is that God knows you're despicable. God knows your true name. God knows your true name. He knows everything about you. 
But when God calls you, he calls you to live up to your honorable name. God is here today saying, you are not, your identity is not in your despicable things you've done or in your despicable name that you have, but your identity is the fact that you are a child of the living God, and I've written my name on you. Everything, everything Matthew wanted to do in life, everywhere Matthew wanted to go, every dream Matthew ever had it, died when he took on this despicable job. Every single one of them. And this and despicability becomes us because of the things that we do. And so all of our dreams die. The purposes and the plans that we have for our life die because we've taken on sin as our first job. But when God comes into your life, he says, I don't care about the things that you've done. I don't care about the things that you've seen or the despicable things that you've done in your life. All I care about is the remarkable things that you want to do. The remarkable things, the places that you want to go. And I'm going to help you get there. God, somebody here today has given up on all their dreams. Somebody here today has found their identity in their despicable name and not their remarkable name. Somebody here today is living life thinking, I'm just going to identify with the mistakes I've made and the things I've done in my past, and that's going to be my identity. But I'm here to tell you today that God here doesn't call you by your despicable name. He calls you by your remarkable name. And when God says, follow me, that means everything I've done and every person, everything that I've been in my life stops now when God calls you. When God calls you, everything, every mistake you've made, Everything gets erased. There's a rapper, Aha Gazelle, he says, you know, you could write it in Sharpie and God could erase it. You could write it in Sharpie, you could engrave it in stone and God's eraser can erase it. God knows that you're despicable. You know, he knows you even made some of your minions despicable. But God knows this. He knows he can take what is despicable and make it remarkable. Let me tell you something today. Don't give up on your dreams. I want you to go home today, get those dreams off the shelf, dust them off, and put them back down. You want to be a teacher? Be a teacher. You want to be a coach? Be a coach. You want to be a rapper? Be a rapper. You want to go to the NBA? Go to the NBA. You want to be a mom? You want more kids? You want to be you know, an example to the kids that are in your hood that want to be moms and dads? Do that thing. You want to start your own clothing line? You want to start your own business? Do it. Who's to say you can't do it? Who is telling you you can't do it? You want to go to college, you want to graduate, you want to get a good job, you want to be famous, who is telling you you can't be famous? You think God is telling you that? You think God is telling you you can't be somebody special in life? The only person that tells you that is the devil and yourself. The only person that tells you that you can't be something special is the devil and yourself. The Bible says that we are God's masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus for the good works that he's prepared for us long ago. The Bible says that God's thoughts for us outnumber the grains of sand. The Bible says that we are God's children. And not one of God's children is special. If you were to come up to me and tell you Amos is not special, I would have to disagree with you. Because that's my son. And every one of my sons and daughters is going to be special. And they better be special to everybody else. God does not have despicable children. He has remarkable children. So I want you to take those little, you know, dreams that you had off your shelf. They might be big dreams. They might be little dreams. 
take them on the shelf, dust them off, and say, I can do these things because I can do all things through Christ. I can do good things. I can do remarkable things because God has set me apart by the blood of Jesus Christ. And now because I'm adopted into his family, I'm not a nobody. I'm a somebody. Matthew was despicable. But God said he is remarkable. Jesus takes back to the people. Jesus takes you back to the people you did wrong and the ones who hate you. Notice something. If he was a tax collector and he was taxing fish, who do you think his worst enemies were? Fishermen, right? Fishermen. That's why we all want a job, you know, that pays cash only. Because we don't want to pay taxes on it. He was, he was taxing fishermen. And so fishermen hated Matthew. But use your Bible knowledge. Most of the disciples were what? Fishermen. Why would God take a pimp, put him on a prostitute? Why would God take a tax collecting, uh, a guy that taxes fishermen and put him with the fishermen? Why? Because when you become a child of God, there's absolutely nothing you can't do. When you become a child of God, anything that was in your way that you felt like you couldn't do is just cake for you now. Let me tell you something. God brings you, when you become a child of God, Jesus Christ takes you right back to the people you hated the most. And the people who hated you the most. He does that. Why does he do that? Because only he can do it. When he does stuff like that, he knows, oh yeah, that's the Lord. You know, when you get that extra... You know, $100 in your bank account, and you're like, oh, yeah, that's the Lord. You know, that's got to be the Lord. God does stuff like that because he wants us to know that he is the Lord, that he's the Messiah. God does the impossible in our life. God wants you to live out your dreams. God wants you to be the person that you dream you could be, but you know you don't have the strength to be. Because when people see you living out your dreams and being a light to the world, people are going to be like, oh, that's got to be the Lord. That's got to be God. That has to be him. Because I knew Alex when Alex was doing Alex. And now I see Alex doing something that he never would have been able to do if God would not be in the work. Let me tell you something you can learn from DJ Khaled. They don't want you to succeed. This, you know, you get on DJ Khaled's Snapchat and see his keys to success, he will tell you something biblical. They don't want you to succeed. The demons, your haters, don't want you to make something of yourself. They don't want you to do that. Your haters don't want you to do that. The devil doesn't want you to do that. But the Bible and God is for you. And if God is for us, who can be against us? You don't have to raise those kids on your own. You can be married and raise those kids in a godly home. You know, you don't have to stay at your dead-end job. You can hustle at that dead-end job until you get promoted to a better job. God says that he, wherever you're in right now, it may be hard. But God says faithfulness is the key to maturity. God desires that we do things in life that make him look good. And when we, are, when we are living in our calling, when we're living in the purpose God has for our life, everybody looks at what they're doing and they say, that's got to be God. Yeah. Me and Lokalani lost a lot of friends when we got married and had Amos. Why? Because people don't want to see all that. 
They think, what makes you so different? You think you can get married, and I know your past. I know your exes. I know this. And you think you can just get married now, have this big, big wedding and have a kid. And he's all cute and stuff on Instagram. And you think you can, all, you think you can do that. People don't like that. You are, people are going to hate on you. If, you. if you decide to live out your purpose for God, people are going to hate on you. Why? Because you was just tax collecting, and now you think you want to kick it with the guys we've been taxing? And now you want to work in a church? Who do you think you are? People are going to hate on you, but some people are going to love it. What you need to understand about Jesus Christ is people, there's either two responses to Jesus. Either you're going to hate him or you're going to love him. You can't like Jesus. Jesus wouldn't have an Instagram because you can't like Jesus. You can't like him. You either love him or you hate him. There's no middle ground. And when you become a Christian, this is, let me get on my next point. Matthew's remarkable calling. Jesus says to him, he looks at him in the tax booth and he says what? Two words. Follow me. Follow me. Two words. Follow me. When Christ calls you, what he's calling you is to be remarkable. Why? Because when Christ calls you, he's calling you to be exactly like him. See, I heard that before. Listen to this. Back in his days, when a, when a teacher called a student, the teacher would literally be saying to the student, I want you to follow me around. And I want you to mimic every single thing that I do. And one day, you're going to be like me or even greater. The difference between students back then in Jesus' day in the first century and the, in the, in the students today in the 21st century is that students only want, today, students only want what the teacher has to get the grades. Right? Students today only want what the teacher has so they can get the grade. Right? But in the first century, students wanted to be the teacher. When they followed a teacher, they wanted to be like that person. If you go on my Instagram, I have like 602 followers, and I have like, I'm only following like 88 people, which is really, really low for Instagram. Really low. I only follow 88 people. Why? I follow like a couple of my friends, and the other people are like all, you know, celebrities. Like, you know, Lecrae, I have some secular celebrities on there that I admire, and I have mostly Christian, uh, you know, celebrities, like Lecrae, you know, preachers I look up to. And why do you think I follow them? Because I want to mimic them. Paul said, I mean, if Paul was today, if Paul was living in today, you know how many followers Paul would have on Instagram? Like, seriously, think about it. This guy wrote half the Bible. That's bigger than Billy Graham. You know, so if he was here today, I'd be following Christ. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ, right? So I follow these people because I want to mimic them. That's exactly the picture that Christ has for us today in this story. He says, to, he says to Matthew, follow me. What he's saying to Matthew, even though those are two words, what he's saying is, I know you're sitting at your job right now. I know you are despicable and you're sinning right now. In the moment you're sinning. And even though you're sinning right now, I'm looking at you and saying, you could be like me. That's crazy. It's good, BJ, but it's crazy, right? It's like, I thought about you last night. I watched Creed, my movie Creed. He comes out to, uh, if you want to ride or die, la da 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 Every time I hear Tupac's voice, I'm like, oh, it's BJ. But I thought about you last night. But anyway, it's crazy. It's crazy 
for Christ to look at one of the most despicable people living at the time, and he was the top despicable person. The Bible says in Romans that not only do we sin, but we teach others to sin. You know, we teach our minions to sin. And he's saying, he's looking at him in the eye and says, you could be like me. This is the grace in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That he looks at somebody that's despicable and say, you know, you can be remarkable. That's the gospel of God. The gospel of the kingdom of God is because Jesus Christ came to earth. Now you don't have to live despicable anymore. Now you can be remarkable. The person in your soul who you always desired to be, now you can be that person because God calls you remarkable. He was despicable, but God is saying you could be remarkable. This is amazing. When, when Matthew heard God's voice, when Matthew heard uh, Jesus' voice, he heard God's voice that day. Because think about Matthew. Matthew's sitting at his tax, tax collector's booth. He sees this huge crowd of people walking towards him. And, you know, he, he sits down. He's ready to, like, to put his head down, you know, to make sure nobody's watching him. And he's learned at this moment. Matthew's learned at this point. Put your head down when people are walking around, especially if they're Jewish. Because the Jewish people hated guys like Matthew. Because he was Jewish, but he was working for the Greek government. He was working for Rome. And so he's learned to put his head down. So this big crowd of people is coming by. And he puts down his head. You know, he's putting his head down, put his head down. He hears, you know, footsteps, footsteps, footsteps. And all of a sudden, the footsteps stop right in front of his desk. Right in front of his desk. And he's like, oh, man, he's trying to keep his head down, you know, trying to hide behind people. And somebody says, you. And the crowd is looking around like, I know Jesus is not pointing at him. I know out of all the people, the pimp, out of all the people, the drug dealer, out of all people, the prostitute, out of all people, you know, the drug addict, out of all people, the gangster, and you're pointing to him? This is the gospel. If it offends you, it's supposed to offend you because it's the gospel. It's scandalous. You know, you guys seen Recess? Scandalous. It's scandalous. The gospel offends people because it's not the way our world works. It's, it's, it's an offensive to other people because, God, you can't come here and take somebody that's an evil, despicable person and make them good. You can't do that because in America, the people who deserve it get something good. The people who work for it get something good in America. The people who, who, who try hard succeed in America. But in God's gospel, in God's Bible, in God's message, and in God's kingdom, he says, if you are despicable, I'm calling you to be remarkable. And God does that. Why? So that everybody knows it's him doing the work. It's him doing the work. Back when I was, you know, living in Hanford with my parents, I would have this Fisher-Price, Fisher-Price lawnmower. And I would push this lawnmower, you know, across the whole grass. I wouldn't miss one blade on the whole grass. And then my dad would come out after me with a real lawnmower that took gasoline, and he would, you know, he would, he would you know, fix all the things I didn't do, right? And he would go in, and he would tell my mom, hey, mom, you, hey, hey, babe, look at what Alex did. He mowed the lawn, right? Why did, he come back, why did he come back after me with that lawnmower? So that my mom would know that he's the one that really did it. He's the one that mowed that lawn. It wasn't me. I tried as hard as I could, but that Fisher-Price lawnmower was not going to cut one blade of grass. And 
it was so light, when it knocked over the blades, the blades would just stick back up. And so I wasn't doing nothing with all the stuff that I was doing. But my dad would come back after me and say, I want everybody to know that I'm the one that really did this. But I love you enough for you to take credit for it. God wants you to succeed. God wants you to be the preacher you wanted to be. God wants you to be the school teacher, the dad, the mom that you wanted to be. God wants you to be the singer, the rapper that you've always wanted to be. Why? Because when you get there, people are going to look at you and say, oh, yeah, God did that. But God loves you enough to let you take the credit for it. God loves you enough to let you take the hand applauses, right? God loves you enough for you to take the retweets and the likes on Instagram. God loves you enough to let you feel like you, you are so loved by God that God wants to fulfill what your soul has, desires in your soul has right now. And God is saying that I'm going to take you to those places so everybody knows it's me, but I also know that I love you. God don't want you. It's evil for you to wake up every day and say, you know what, I'm a nobody. I'm not going anywhere in life. That's evil. Why do you think Eve ate from the tree? Because he said, God don't really love you. He's keeping something from you. He doesn't want you to succeed. He doesn't want you to be like him. All that image of God stuff was bogus. He don't really mean that. You're a nobody just like the rest of the animals. Only difference is you can talk. You know, there's nothing, there's no, nothing special about you. And that's what caused her to sin. Those negative thoughts of us thinking bad about ourselves, thinking I'm a nobody. Let me tell you something. God don't make trash. God has made us special, and he's called us by name. We're his masterpiece, not his trash can. We are separate and holy priests of God in a priesthood because of Jesus Christ's blood and death on the cross for the glory of God. For the glory of God. The last part of our verses says, and he rose and did what? Followed him. Listen to this. He was Bill Gates. He was making so much money. So much money. You know, he had everything the world could give him. But what he really wanted, he didn't have. As he's sitting there, he has his head down. Jesus stops and says, I want you. Get up and follow me. What does he do? In Luke, it says he left all. He left all. You know, he left a comfortable job, but he got his destiny. You know, he, lo- he left a comfortable income, but he got the adventure of a lifetime. He left every single thing that America would say, keep. And what he got was his dreams. If we are going to be successful in 2016, if we are going to be the people God desires and has predestined us to be, we are going to have to be the type of people that leave some stuff. Let me tell you what repentance means. Let me tell you what repentance means. Repentance means letting go of what your heart wants and grabbing onto what your soul wants. Repentance means letting go of what your heart wants heart wants and holding on to what your soul wants your soul doesn't want you to be enslaved to pornography your soul doesn't want you to be an alcoholic your your soul doesn't want you to be a drug addict your soul doesn't want you to be a single mother your soul does not want you to be a single father your soul doesn't want you to be working at a dead-end job where you get disrespected day in and day out your heart settles for mcdonald's
Your heart settles for getting stepped on and picked on. Your heart settles being a slave to sin. Your heart settles that. Only the human heart would choose pornography over marriage. Only the human heart would choose, you know, drugs over, you know, a natural high being known as the the child of God. Only the human heart would do that. Because the human heart is deceitful above all ways. And if we are going to be the people that God has called our church to be, we're going to have to let go of some stuff. We're going to have to let go of some stuff that we've worked so hard to get. We're going to have to let go of them. Why? Because they're little, small things in comparison to what God has for us. Sometimes with Amos, I have to take one of his little plastic toys out of his mouth if I want to feed him real food. But in the moment, he doesn't want to eat real food. He wants to eat his plastic. We are just like children. We're just like Amos. You know, God forgive him. He's not a Christian yet. Hoping he will be soon. But we are just like that. We'd rather keep a Lego in our mouth than take us, you know, a rib from God. We keep these little addictions in our mouth instead of opening our mouth and saying, God, will you just please take this out? You know, hold my nose if you got to and give me something better than this. Matthew left absolutely everything. You know, the part of being a Christian is you have to repent, but you also have to believe. Everybody repents. Everybody repents. You know, I've repented from cigarettes a lot of times. But what? Unless I have God's power that I believe, you know, this is not who I am. I'm not, I'm not this. I'm, I'm special. I'm different. You know? Unless I believe, that's when the change comes. You can't just repent. you got to believe. Let me tell you something about Pharisees. Pharisees repent of their sin. Pharisees repent of their sin. Do they not? They try so hard, 613 laws, and if they don't have all 613, they'll repent until they try to get it. You know? But the problem is they can't keep all 613. If they do all 612, the 613th is thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not want something more than you want God. And what do they want? Their righteousness more than God. Pharisees spend their whole life repenting. Repenting doesn't make you a Christian. Repenting and then believing makes you a Christian. Repenting and then believing makes you a Christian. If you want to do what Matthew did, if you want to make, Matthew's name means the gift of the Lord. The gift of the Lord, but he wasn't even living up to his own name. So many of us want to do all these things, but we can't do it. Because we keep repenting and repenting, but we can't even live up to our own name because we don't believe. God says, you know, faith can move mountains. What are the mountains in your life today? The main mountain that you're going to have to push out of the way by your faith is yourself. Is yourself. This, the mountain standing between you and your goal and the glory you want to bring God through your life, the mountain is yourself. In Matthew chapter 14, or Matthew chapter 18, Peter walks on water. You know, Jesus comes, Jesus says, hey, you guys go ahead without me. I'm going to have some alone time. Let me tell you guys something. A key to success is alone time. You've got to spend time by yourself. People will get on your nerves, and you've got to have time by yourself. You will never, ever be or go anywhere that you want to go if you don't spend alone time. So Jesus spends alone time by himself. You know, he spends alone time. He says, you guys go ahead without me. And then he comes walking on the water. You know, sandals dry. 
walking on the water. No, I mean, not like, it wasn't like little pieces of water splashing up and hitting his feet. He was walking on top of the water, not hovering over it, but walking on it as if it was freshly paved, dry cement. Dry. You could touch the bottom of his Air Sandals, his Air Jordans sandals, and it's dry on the bottom. This is Jesus Christ. You know, walking on the water. This is our Savior. This is the Messiah. Walking on the water. And then they say, is that a ghost? Because they think, you know, fishermen, they may not be very smart, but they're logical. You know, they think only ghosts could stand on water. Only a ghost could really stand on water. So they may not be smart, but they're logical. You know, God has not called you to be dumb. He's called you to use your logic. He's called you to think about it. Think about it. Is that a ghost or is it Jesus? You know, examine our life and say, you know, is this from God or is this from the Lord? And he walks on water and he says, don't be afraid. It's me. It's me. And, and Peter says something, you know, we, 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 we get down on people, Peter for what he said, right? We think Peter says, oh, if it's you, let me come out there. You know, but we hear that and we think, man, Peter's crazy. Peter's an idiot. But Peter had faith. He knows something. He knows that in the first century, students don't choose their teachers. Teachers choose their students. This is, this is, Peter had the same mindset as Matthew this day. Both of them are thinking this. If he has called me by name, that means he's called me to be like him in every single way. If he has called me by name, if he's called me to be his child, to be his disciple, that means he's called me to be like him in every single way. And if that's true, then I can walk on water. This is Peter's thought process. Peter says, Jesus says, come. He starts walking on the water, sandals dry. Peter. The only other human ever, ever walk on water is Peter. Peter walked on the water. And when he gets out there, what happens? He sinks. And we think, ah, oh, man, Peter, he made it a couple steps, you know, but he sinked, you know. And that's the part we get on Peter for, you know. When, when your haters find out that you messed up, they're not going to talk about your success. They're going to talk about your failures. When you make a mistake, people are going to talk about your failures, not about the things you've done good. Only two people in the world have ever walked on water, Jesus and Peter. The, promise, the, the, the founder of Promise Keeper, I was watching this on ESPN 30 for 30. He was the coach of the uh, Colorado you know, football team in college football. And before he became a Christian, he committed adultery. He got drunk and celebrated with one of his wins as a coach. And he got drunk and he you know, slept with another woman. And later he became a Christian, right? He stopped drinking. When they were filming this video, he hadn't drinking for 40 years or 35 years or something. Stopped drinking for 35 years, alcoholic, just like that, overnight. Something only God could do. He started something called Promise Keepers. Some of us might remember it. Uh, Promise Keepers was founded on, you know, marriage fidelity. It was about, you know, men. It was a men's ministry founded on, you know, being uh, not infidels in marriage. But, you know, keeping the promise we made to our wife, the vows we made to our wife, and not cheating on her. That's what the whole ministry was about. But when they found out that before he was a Christian, he slept with another woman, what do you think they did? 60 minutes. They put it on 60 minutes. This guy, like him and Billy Graham were like, you know, neck and neck. You know, Coach MacArthur. Coach McCarthy. 
You know, he was, you know, a, a superstar in the Christian realm. But they ate him up. You know, they, they ripped him a new one because of his mistake. When you make a mistake as a Christian, let me tell you something. You may have lost some friends. You may have lost some people who don't want to be around you no more. Because what? They don't see the good things you've done. They see your mistake. But the difference between other people and God is when you make a mistake, God don't see your mistakes. He sees the accomplishments you made for him. When God looks at you, he doesn't see your mistakes. He sees the good things that you've done. He says, all your mistakes, give me those. I'm going to put those in the sea of forgetfulness. Meaning, as far as the east is from the west, meaning they don't touch each other. The east and the west will never see each other. And that's how far your sins are from God. He says, as far as the east is from the west, so I have removed your sins from me. When my son, you know, my son can't walk. He's five months. Can't walk. But when I try to make him walk, what does he do? He falls over. I don't look at him and say, man, you're an idiot. What is wrong with you? You can't walk. You know, and even if he takes two steps, I don't say, come on, man, like two steps? Are you some kind of fool? Like, walk. Every step my son makes is an accomplishment for him and for me. I don't see my son's mistakes. I see his accomplishments. All your mistakes... Before you confess and repent, which is what you should do, before and after, are already forgiven by God. Because the Bible says in Revelation, before the foundation of the earth, the lamb was slain. Before anything on earth was made, Christ was already going to pay for it. Our sins were already forbeared towards what Christ was going to do on the cross. Everything before and after is forgiven. God doesn't see your mistakes. He sees the good things you've done. That's the type of father. He's a good, good father. It's who he is. It's who he is. And we are loved by him. That is who we are. Children of God. Peter walks on water, and when he starts to fall, he has that thought press. I can do everything, you know, like Mike. I can do anything you can do, I can do better. You know, he was thinking about that, and he was thinking that. He takes a couple steps, he starts to sink. We say, why did he sink? And most commentators say, um, not most, some, say that he, he, he lost sight of Jesus. Took his eyes off Jesus, put it on the storm. And that's why he fell. Think about that for a second. Use your logic for a little bit. Was Jesus sinking? How can he lose faith in Jesus? Jesus is standing right in front of him, sandals dry, on the water. Don't tell me he lost faith in Jesus. When Jesus Christ is standing there like, you know, watch me whip. And he's, he's standing there like it's nothing for him. It's nothing. You know, like Wiz Cleaver says, it's nothing, it's nothing. He's standing there. He didn't lose faith in Jesus. He lost faith in what Jesus could do in him. This is where we are. This is where we are. We make mistakes in our life. We choose to choose something like a Lego in our mouth over a rib because we think God can't do anything special with me. God can't use me to preach in the hood. God can't use me to make a difference in my kid's life. God can't use me in my church. You know, we don't tithe. We don't help out in our church at Super Saturday. We don't join the choir. We don't join the ushers. We don't do these things. Why? Because I'm a nobody. I can't do this. Peter looks down at his feet. He's like, what am I doing? I can't do this. And he starts to sink. Your doubts in the power of God in your life will cause you to sink. 
Every time you choose to believe that you are a child of God and that you can walk in the authority of the Holy Spirit living inside of you, you are making a decision that will cause you not to sink. But every time you say, you know what, I don't believe that anymore. I'm a nobody. Christ didn't die for my sins. I'm a sinner. That's my identity. You will sink. How is Matthew able to leave it all? How is Matthew to take, a, you know, a, an eight-figure check, throw it in the trash, instead of going to the mall and throwing it in the bag? How is he able to do that? Because he believes if God has called me, God has called me to be like him. A rabbi calls a Talmudin to be like him. A rabbi calls a disciple to be like him in every single way. When, when a rabbi calls a student and a rabbi calls a disciple, you now move in with the rabbi. Your life is over. Your life is over. You have to quit your job. This is full time. This is around the clock. When a, when a rabbi calls you, everything is done. Your life is completely over. And Matthew knew this. He knew if his master was calling him, my life is over. How many of us are willing to leave it all knowing that my master says what I want to be in life, the desires that he's placed in my heart, the Bible says he's put eternity into a man's heart. The things that I want, the glories of God, that I want the angels to sing over for the rest of eternity, those things that I have in my heart, God says if I'm his child, I can do those things. I can go to those places. And if you, when you believe that, God can change your life. And this is how. This is how. To the degree that you understand this, that Jesus became despicable so we can become remarkable. That Jesus became despicable so we can become remarkable. Think about this. They put a robe on our Savior and a crown of thorns on our head, blindfolded him and said, who punched you? They punched him in the face and spit on him and cut this guy. They whipped his back until you can see his backbone. And they said, who hit you? Think about how they treated our Savior. Like he was a despicable old slave they treated him. They treated him like he was nothing. Like he didn't create the world, that he didn't create the world in a matter of moments. Like he didn't put the iris inside the eye. You know, like he didn't put the taste inside the tongue. They treated him. They treated him despicable so that we could be treated remarkable. Our king was treated like a slave so the slave could be treated like a king. Every time you open this Bible, you see something. That God is treating me much better than I deserve to be treated. And he's treating me much better than I would even treat myself. And Christ was treated like a despicable slave so we could be treated like a remarkable king. To the, to the degree that you understand that you are not a nobody, that you are not a normal old person at your high school, that you're not just a regular person working at your job, but you are the living, breathing child of the living God with the Holy Spirit living inside of you, that's where the power starts. Knowing that Christ took your punishment, your despicability, and gave you his remarkability. That's what Christ has done for us. And he rose from the dead. To show us that I mean what I say and I say what I mean. It's what Christ has done for us. You know? He's, we don't deserve it. The whole, the whole thing about the gospel, the glue of the gospel is grace. The glue of the gospel is grace. The whole thing that holds it all together is the fact that we don't deserve this. 
But when he calls you by his grace and says, you are my disciple, you are my child now, you know, you're not going by your, your despicable name, you're going by your remarkable name now. When that happens, something amazing happens. The glue of the gospel is grace, but the gunpowder of the gospel is grace. That's where the power is. Once you realize God is treating me better than I would treat myself, then you all of a sudden, you have the power you need to be that person, to be that dad, to be that man, to be that woman, to be that kid at your high school. He says that now your grace is enough. I got this thorn of doubt in my skin, but your grace is enough. I'm covered by your blood. He says your grace is enough for me. It's all I need. It's all I need. The power we need to live, you know, the way that we desire to live, but we can't do on our own, is all wrapped up in the grace of the gospel. That God was treated despicable so that his children, future children, could be treated remarkable. The power is wrapped up in that, in his grace. That's where the power is. We have to be the type of Christians that wake up in the morning and know we, know we may not be the people that we want to be, but know that God has called us to be something special. God has called us to be his children. Those Christians are changing the world right now. Those Christians are getting, you know, run down by ISIS right now. One Christian right now has ISIS knocking at their door right now. And some Christian right now is on their knees praying, knowing that a guy is on the other side of a door with an AK right now, this second. You know, Lecrae just dropped a third mixtape. You know, after people in the Christian community are saying, you are part of the Illuminati. People in the Christian community are calling and telling Lecrae that. When Lecrae, on his vacations, instead of going to Hawaii, he's preaching in India. Lecrae. And he has dropped another mixtape saying, you can say whatever you want to say about me. And he put E-40 on his new mixtape. E-40's name stands for Empty 40 Ounces. And he put a guy like that on his mixtape. Why? Lecrae understands the gospel. He understands grace. He understands what it feels like to take somebody who doesn't deserve something and give them something they don't deserve, knowing it's going to change their life. And God has done that to all of us. He's done that to all of us. Let's have everybody stand on their feet. If you were here today, pastor yesterday called me he told me, son, I want you to do the invitation. And so I was thinking about, you know, this message and the invitation. And there's really, you know, only three calls we could do. And the three calls we do every, every week. It's church membership, you know, and it's, it's uh, you know, you want, if you want to come today and get things right with God, you know, to confess and say, you know, I'm not, I haven't been doing it right, you know, and I want to do right. Or you're here today and you're not a believer. And you say, you know what, being a child of God sounds really good right now. Being a child of God really sounds like it's beating what I'm doing. And that's kind of what I want to be a part of. You want to be a part of God's team, God's family. You want to become a child of God. The first call is for you. David is going to play for us. And if 